This afternoon we have a sermon that reveals the Lord's sovereign hand in a way that is beyond man's plan. You know, he's always in control, but then there are those moments where you really see his hand and the fact that we have this psalm today in light of all that we've prayed through is his hand of care in our lives. And so may we feel that. Where do we turn in the midst of trouble? The past few days have been days of trouble. People marching under the banner of white supremacy, armed as militia, an alt-right movement forming around the concept of protecting white identity to the detriment of other races, A 20-year-old drives his car into a group of people protesting white supremacy, one dead and 19 injured. Terrifying horrors, fear-inducing terror. These are truly days of trouble. So where do we turn for comfort in the midst of days like these? What do we do when there are whole groups of people rallying rallying around an anti-gospel? When our country doesn't immediately condemn what God condemns or our nation seems headed to irrevocable polarization? Well, the truth is, as humans, we go to all sort of strange places in times of trouble. Often fear can drive us to things like Netflix or cable to drown the voices out that are reminding us of the trouble. Fear can lead us to Instagram or to Facebook so that we can fill our head with pictures to try to forget how bad the predicament really is. We can hit the weights, go for a run, go on a diet, go on a spending spree, retail therapy, cinema therapy, self-help. Or maybe we find a refuge from trouble by focusing on the things we can control. We fix up or clean the house so we can work in a domain that we can control, ignoring the very present trouble. Maybe we indulge in pleasure to lessen the pressure of the trouble in our lives. A few clicks here, a few binge eating sprees. Perhaps we even allow our fears to drive us to the point where we would harm our own bodies. Now the older I get, granted isn't too old yet, the more I realize that trouble and trial are not anomalies in our lives. They're nearby through most seasons of life. Though it feels like racial hatred has grown exponentially since the time of the election, the reality is that these troubles have been with us for a long time. Trouble is a part of the Christian life. And the Bible tells us this. The more that we read it, the more we realize that the potential for trial, trouble, and suffering for the Christian isn't merely a probable thing, it's assumed. Yet it doesn't tell us to fear the way we so often naturally do. And Psalm 46 is no different. Now the setting behind this psalm is one of spirit-crushing, terrifying trouble 
probably linked to an imminent threat of a gigantic superpower that was on the doorstep of Israel, threatening to wipe them out. Perhaps they were even surrounded by enemies as these words were penned. These were dark times in Israel. And I know you've had dark times as well. Maybe you feel surrounded by enemies right now, overwhelmed and paralyzed by fear. Or maybe, maybe you feel helpless in light of the recent events. You may not have had an army at your doorstep or had to endure a two-year siege, but we've walked through the valley of the shadow of death at some point in our lives. A close brush with death, the loss of a baby, the death of a spouse, the spiritual attack at work, the political upheaval of our nation during and since the election, the silence of the president to condemn by name the white supremacists. Where do we turn in this dark time? Where do we turn when we're in trouble? Psalm 46 gives us one direction of hope, one beam of light into a dark, long tunnel, one safe haven in the midst of the storm. This is our main point today, if you're taking notes. In the face of terrifying trouble, we forsake fear for God. In the face of terrifying trouble, we forsake fear for God. How can we face taunts of persecution? How is it we can look at imminent death and not fear? By trusting in God as our refuge. And what we're going to see in this passage is an unveiling of God's character that reveals that He's fear-crushing in the hope that He provides. His incomparable nature inspires in us a bold trust so that in the face of terrifying trouble that would normally lead us to wallow in fear, we can forsake fear for God. We're going to look at three attributes today, three attributes of God that help us to forsake fear for God. He is first our strength, He is surrounding, and He is supreme. So first, He is our strength. Psalm 46 uses two metaphors. He is our refuge, and He is our fortress. And they both communicate how God is our strength. You see that in verse 1, verse 7, and verse 11. Now, that God is our refuge communicates that He's the place that we run to for relief from danger or anxiety. And in the Old Testament, they had cities of refuge where if someone somehow unintentionally killed someone, they could run to this city for protection from the uh, loved ones and the people that cared about that person that had perished. See, the city of refuge was essentially a place where they could receive protection in a time of distress. So, it, similar to today, there's folks from Syria and Somalia and Venezuela that have sought protection from chaos and dangers and upheaval in their own countries by taking up residence in the United States. Now, regardless of your political views on immigration, imagine yourself in the plight of a Venezuelan seeking refuge in our country. I actually have friends I met this past year in Louisville who have family that live in Venezuela right now, and I've, I've heard stories 
of the looting, the devastation, the violence, and the chaos. Mothers unable to get milk for their babies, so their babies become gaunt. Elderly ones abandoned and forced into starvation. Imagine if you're there and you put all of your remaining income into a visa to come to the United States as your last hope for refuge, only to meet with denial. You'd be devastated. You may even face death. You realize that this country can be a fickle refuge, unable to be relied upon. But as Christians, we have access to a far greater, more constant and stronger shelter from the troubles of this life. Notice that God is our refuge. He's not just a refuge, not just something that we might be able to have access to. We possess this refuge. There's no immigration process. There's no potential bearing of the entrance to this refuge. There's no question whether we'll be able to find it. God is our refuge. He has himself given himself to us to shield us from the storm and offer himself to us in the midst of of our struggle, but that's not the only metaphor he uses. He also says that he will be our fortress. And this brings to mind military, right? It says that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And that fortress is a little different than a refuge. A refuge talks about how we can access God. We can get to him in the middle of our trial and he can protect us. But a fortress implies that we are now beyond our enemy's reach. They cannot penetrate us. By God being our fortress and our refuge, we're essentially saying that not only do we have a shelter for the storm, but also one that puts us beyond the power of those who hate us. That's what it means to have God as our fortress and refuge. It will hold against the superpowers of this world, against cosmic catastrophe, against people that hate you for all types of reasons. We know that life is hard. This psalm assumes that trouble is happening. It's not saying that life is going to be real easy. But what it is saying is that when we experience trial, He will be with us and carry us through the trial. God will sometimes allow us to feel the stinging wounds of our enemy, but that's only to drive us back to Himself as our fortress. We, we all know, if you've been living as a Christian for a little bit of time, that God does amazing things through trials. Sometimes teaches us the most valuable life lessons. As C.S. Lewis once said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And even the most recent events in our nation, somehow the Lord is using that to help reveal himself as a refuge and a fortress, even right now, helping us run to him as we see enemies that cause us to fear. So do you feel surra surrounded by enemies, battered by trial? Where are you turning to? Come to your refuge. Come to your fortress and find comfort in his strength. God's the wall that separates you from trouble. 
It is the integrity of God's omnipotent power that keeps the gates of this fortress from failing, though the battering ram of this world may try to take it down. Do you feel like you've been under spiritual attack recently? Temptation you can't explain. Though Satan might shoot fiery darts by the thousands at this fortress, none of them will even reach the base of the wall. God is in control, and he will protect you through the trouble. Are you trying to take on the enemy by riding out of the fortress, saying, I've got this? Stop. We don't have the power. We don't have the strength to weather weather the storm, but God does, and he promises to function as our strength should we run to him for refuge, and should we seek protection with his unassailable walls. How is it that this psalmist can declare that he will not fear in the face of trial like this? Am I supposed to laugh in the face of a terminal diagnosis? Am I supposed to be perfect and not fear my enemies when they're obviously far greater than I am? No, here God is calling us to stop being afraid, but not afraid in every sense of the word. He's forbidding us to despair, to give up, and to fear to the point of no hope. In the face of terrifying trouble, He's calling us to forsake fearing to hopelessness, to running to God as our strength. Now, there are two types of people when you experience trouble. There's the flight people and the fight people. And if you had a window into one of uh, Missy and my conflicts, you would know which one of us is which. Missy wins all of our conflicts. Let's just say that. So maybe you're a, a fight person. Well, I'm a flight person. So my whole body shuts down, actually, when my fears kick in. I've actually fainted like eight times in my life. Let me just tell you, it's super embarrassing in eighth grade biology class when your flight kicks in. Now, for others, fear drives into reckless action. I mean, you see, fear naturally causes us to either recoil inward in paralysis or to fight outward in desperation. But both of those responses are actually not what God's calling us to. He says, we will not fear. And both of these responses fail to see God as our strength. We can't recoil inside as our own refuge and hope to survive, just flee inward. We can't fight off our enemies as a fortress. That's God's job. He calls us out of ourselves. He calls us to to find our weathering of the storm in Him because we're a flimsy refuge. He calls us, for those of us who are fighters, He calls us to put down our weapons and allow God to be our strength, God to be our fortress. And because God is our refuge and fortress, we always can have hope. And fear should not grip us to the point where we abandon faith in God. Even in the face of terrifying trouble, we can forsake fear for God because He has promised to be our refuge and fortress. So that's our first point. God is our strength. So refuge and fortress, He is our strength, and that should cause us to forsake fear for God. And our second point is that He is surrounding. He's surrounding. 
Now, if you were listening as Graham read this text earlier, you, you probably noticed how much God's presence permeates through this text. I mean, we hear all throughout allusions that six different times he either says it or alludes to the fact that he will be with us, surrounding us with his presence. We're told the Lord is with us, that God dwells in our midst. And man, such an idea should fill our sails with a gust of hope in and of itself. I mean, God is with us? That's amazing. But God isn't just watching. He isn't just sitting by. He's not just along for the ride. He is a very present help in trouble. Not just present, very present. And that term, very present, communicates an eagerness to be found and an ability to meet the needs of those that he's with. God isn't a God who's inaccessible or far off. He's drawing near to us. He's reaching out to us. He's surrounding us with his presence, ready to help, able to help. And far from some type of deistic God who just set up the world and just watches it happen without caring what takes place, God is intimately concerned. He's with us in the storm. He's with us in the trial. And he's beside us even as our enemies approach. Right here, right now, in your pew, he is surrounding you with with his presence. Maybe you feel like this is just trouble, a season of trouble and trial. God is is drawing near to you. This place is thick with his presence. The psalmist goes on to declare, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And the river imagery for an Israelite would have immediately made them think of Eden, the first place that God created where a river flowed and nourished a beautiful garden and God intimately walked with his people. This is speaking of God's presence, his nourishing, gladdening presence. Now, notice the beautiful poetic contrast between what just came. He's talking about mountains being thrown into the seas. The seas are water, but they're this violent, chaotic symbol of overcoming and destroying the mountains. And now God has flipped that image. What was threatening to destroy them has been flipped around to become their nourishment. The seas have become rivers of gladness. So God in his surrounding strength is not merely present. He's present to help us, to fight with us, to comfort us. His presence makes his people glad even in the midst of catastrophe. Remember, they're surrounded. And he's saying there is a river, even in the midst of the chaos. How can the psalmist say this? He wasn't focused on the army outside. That superpower of immense might, he could care less about him. The psalmist was focused on the presence of his strong God, the vitalizing, surrounding presence of God. Now, there was a popular book that was made into a movie fairly recently called Ender's Game. And Ender is this young prodigy who is targeted by the government at an early age where they want to monitor his life. And so, as a young baby, he has this chip implanted into his brain to sense a sensor to have everything that he sees, everything that he feels, everything that he smells sent back to the government. 
so they can just see his life through his own eyes. But Ender's life is one of horrible abuse. He's bullied to the point and beaten where he nearly dies on several occasions. He's the social object of persecution throughout his, his early childhood uh, time. Though Ender was being monitored, he was alone. He was seen, but alone. Maybe like Ender, you feel right now like you're all alone. I mean, you know that God's everywhere. You'd write that on a test, but it doesn't feel like He's doing anything in your life. I believe God wants to speak directly to you. As I was praying, the Lord placed you on my heart if that's been your thought recently. Though you may feel alone, you're not. Listen to the context of God's very present help here. In verse 2, we see the apocalyptic scenario where mountains are literally swallowed by seas. For the Israelites, mountains were symbols of impregnable fortitude. They were never supposed to change. And the sea was that symbol of chaos. It's almost like all that was good, all that was certain, all that was supposed to be intact has been swallowed up by the tenacious, voracious appetite of evil. Yet the writer cries out, We will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. This is why. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. And in contrast to those mountains which seemed unmovable, the only thing that remains unaltered in this psalm is the city of God, the people of God. And that's God's promise to us today. You as His people are more sure to exist 1,000 years from right now than Mount Everest is. Though the stars be scattered in the sea, though global warming blow up our planet, God promises that you will remain. Why? Because God is in the midst of you. Not because we're strong, not because He chose the best, but because He has bound Himself to you and His strength is filling your muscles as you fight for faith in the midst of trouble. Now notice when He will help you. It says, when the morning dawns. Well, that's actually the exact same phrase that was used when the Israelites were exited from Egypt, when the Lord parted the Red Sea and allowed the Israelites to go out between the middle of it. Israel didn't lift a finger against Egypt. You remember the story? They walked out of a land that had imprisoned them for years and years and years by the might of God. They walked through a Red Sea that God parted for them so that Moses in Exodus 15 declares, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down in the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury and it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, 
I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them, I will draw the sword, my hand shall destroy them. But you blew the wind, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. And risen hope, God was as much the warrior of his people when this psalm was penned hundreds of years later as he was when he delivered them from Egypt. And God is still our warrior today. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Risen hope's fortress. Put your name in there. Your fortress. There are perils in our lives right now that we're not even aware of. We have no idea the threats that could come upon us. God's protecting us. He's holding back those trials from us even right now, even as he parted the the seas for the Israelites. Right now, he's holding back the arm of Satan. Satan's trying to get to you, just doing everything he can to get to you, and he commands an army. He's the Lord of hosts. He commands these angels, and they protect you. Right now, he sends them out to protect you from demonic attack. We can forsake fear for trust by remembering remembering that God is not only our strength, but also our warrior, and He and His army surround us even now. He is a very present help in time of need. But we forget. We don't always see His protection. We often only feel the wounds He does allow through for our good. And so we give in to fear and we run to other sources of refuge. Are you doing that right now? Are you running away from God to other refuges? So how do we know if we're appropriately depending on the Lord? How do we forsake fear for God in the midst of terrifying trouble? Well, how we interact with our fears usually reveals where our refuge is. So what are you most anxious about right now? How you deal with this anxiety will reveal your refuge. In these areas, we can take a couple approaches. So see if you fit in one of these. We can ignore. We can try to spend all our time on other things, things maybe in our control, to try to forget what we fear. And meanwhile, the anxiety slowly builds And the drumbeat of fear slowly grows more rapid in our head. Or we can panic. We drop all other responsibilities and we manage and manage and talk and talk and work and work and don't sleep until we fixed it. Yet often the only thing that has changed is how sick and unhealthy we are. Our best efforts only make things worse. Or we can trust. We can turn to our refuge and fortress with the belief that He is who He says He is. Trust looks like an abiding in the refuge of God, even as you continue on in life. We fight on in battle, never losing sight of our true and greater warrior. So what does it look like to trust? When I was a kid, I used to play a game called Tag. You probably all played it as well. Don't play it as much as I did back then. Um, but there was always this thing in tag. There's this base, right? That, that functioned as kind of your functional refuge. If you were on the base and holding it, you couldn't be it if someone tagged you. There was always that one kid that bothered me so much 
usually a little bit better at video games than sports, um, who, who would just literally hold on to the base constantly. You'd go up to him, and, and he would just be totally happy to play the game, though really no game was happening, by, while holding on to the base. So you'd invent the 30-second rule, and then he'd take his hands off for the 30 seconds and put them right back on. It was impossible. But you know what? As annoying as I thought that kid was, he actually illustrates something pretty important about trusting. He was painfully aware of his physical limitations. And so he clinged to his refuge. He didn't depend on his own strength. Brothers and sisters, too often we stray from our God thinking we're able to weather the storm and take down the enemy of temptation. But we need to cling to that base with all our might, knowing that He alone is a refuge who can shelter us in in the trouble. Trust looks like a person spending more time in prayer in a particularly hard season, not less. Not running faster so much as running to the base to hold on. Maybe you've been running hard in trouble recently. You've been trying. You've been trying to fix the problems in your life, but you haven't thought about where you're running to. We need to run to God, our refuge. Trust looks like compiling fighter verses that directly address the area of concern for you. So do you have any verses memorized for that particular area of fear? Do you know what God's promises are for you? Are you holding on to what He's told you is true? You see, if we don't have what God said in our hearts, the fears will drive what we do. We will run in a different direction than our refuge, and our fears will drive us away from God. But God in His kindness has surrounded us with His presence, and He's given us His inspired, perfect word to remember that He is with us. But maybe you like my analogy a little too much, and you would be so happy to stay on that playground base all day. When you're in trial, you get paralyzed by fear. You just stay um, in your place of comfort. But God isn't a playground base. He's the omnipresent and omnipotent God who has promised to be with us even until the end of the age. He's with us wherever we go. It's as if the little boy picked up the base and began running with it, right? See, our confidence and our refuge is not so much in a place as it is in the presence of God. The confidence of the psalmist wasn't so much in the city as much as the presence of God faithfully delivering them through the trial. Trust doesn't remain paralyzed, too afraid to venture into a scary world. Our God is with us, and we have a very present refuge, fortress, and strength with us even as we continue to go about our days. You see, trust keeps going, keeps living, keeps trying in constant dependence on God and constant recognition of His power. No paralysis and no self-sufficiency. There is a way forward through our refuge and fortress, our God, surrounding us and helping us. So how do we join the psalmist in declaring, we will not fear, though the earth gives way? We look at the character, 
promises and presence of God Most High and not at the terror and presence of our circumstances. God is our strength. He's surrounding us as our warrior, our help, refuge, and fortress, and that's why we can forsake fear for God. So He's our strength. He's surrounding us. And finally, He is supreme. It's our last point. He is supreme. Verses 8 through 10, we see a change in the tone of the psalmist. He moves from assuring his people that he is with them, that he will be their refuge, he will be their fortress, to now speaking about how he is going to emerge supreme over all of his enemies. We read, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Now, come behold are, is, is a phrase that's often used to introduce prophetic oracles. And so the, the psalmist here is talking about a future conflict between God and the superpower at their door. He says, excuse me, So this is the very threat that was most likely in front of the Israelites' front door. And so we see the aftermath of this conflict, don't we? Peace, right? All the the, uh, wars are brought to to cease and all the nations are are brought uh, to, to peace. But it's interesting that it's not through pacifism that this happens. Not saying pacifism is a bad thing. We should be doing that as we heard earlier today. But when it's God, we're talking about, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So we see gripping imagery of the shattered weapons of his enemies, and we hear God himself suddenly interrupt the psalmist. Do you notice this? In verse 10, we see quotations there. God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I have misapplied that text a million times to just like my quiet times. I got to not be busy, got to not be in the loud, got to find the secret place to be with God. And that's surely a fine application. But the main point of this text is that God is addressing the superpower. He's addressing the Israelites' enemies and saying, stop. Be still and know that I am God. As one writer says, be still and know that I'm God is not primarily saying that we need to seek God in the quiet and stillness, though this is a tremendous need in the busy, noisy Western culture. It's a command to the superpower to be still and recognize that God alone is God and that the superpower is not. So the image we see here is God, the warrior, commanding his would-be contestant into submission. He will be exalted. He will be a victorious one. And this, my friends, is not just good news for God. This is good news for us and for Israel as well. God has bound himself to us so that the victory of his power becomes the surety of our victory. Friend, you will as surely pass through the fiery trial of tribulation as God will demolish his enemies. Will the enemies that accuse you be stopped? 
Will the things that people say, the racial hatred, the vitriol, will it ever cease? As surely as God's command, be still, will be met with obedience. But how do we know we will conquer it with Him? This is one of those fighter verses. Romans 8. Have this one in your back pocket. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? His strength is our refuge and fortress. The Lord of hosts is with us. He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? The absolute proof that God's Word gives for us that we will conquer with Him is the battle that Jesus won for us on the cross. Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is the right, at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So Jesus didn't just die the death that we deserved on the cross. He rose from the, ga- the grave, and He conquered the sin and death that we should have had to conquer but never could have. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or famine or nakedness or danger or sore, you can put whatever trouble is in your life right there, and that will not separate us from from the Lord. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So all the fears we've been thinking about today, we will overcome these trials and troubles. They will not have the final say. When, you're, when your mind says, will they win? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend, we need not fear when looking at our enemies because of the supremacy of Jesus Christ over our enemies. He demolishes them all in the end. Every single one. We need to see our conquering King, Jesus Christ. That will drive out fear, won't it? Well, Dennis Johnson in his commentary on the book of Revelation describes Jesus when he returns in that final battle that's in a way that really gripped me. I pray it blesses you. He he describes Jesus' destruction of Satan's sin and sin in this way. He is the Son of Man, invested with infinite and eternal authority. So His command is to be obeyed instantly and eagerly. He is the conquering Lion of Judah, who like his father David, went out in the name of the Lord to fight the towering enemy of God's people and conquered. He is the slain Lamb. That's exactly how He won the victory. And those for whom he spilled his blood are not only freed from the devil's oppression and lethal domain, but also purchased to belong to the living God. He is the captain of heaven's armies, riding into conflict against the forces of injustice and destroying them in his holy wrath, vindicating his suffering saints and repaying their killers in kind. His burning eyes pierce masks and search hearts. His two-edged sword wages war against all that defiles 
and destroys, whether in the culture at large or his church. And he is no absentee or distant champion. He walks among the lampstands, ever present with his churches. And our joys and sorrows, our faithfulness and our failures. He is the husband who loved his bride before the world was, who in matchless love plunged into history and poured out his life to make her his own. And whose love now persistently pursues the process of beautifying her for the consummation of our great wedding. That's our champion. That's Jesus with you in the trial, your shelter, your refuge, your fortress, your warrior God. In the face of terrifying trouble, we can forsake fear for God. For the most fearful one is Jesus Christ. He conquered sin and death on the cross. He is the superpower. He is the terrifying juggernaut. Friends, there's nothing scarier than Jesus. Nothing more worthy of our fear. Yet Jesus has become our refuge who can cover us from the worst of trials if we trust Him. The one who we should fear drives out fear. It's by trusting in Him you can escape the wrath of God if you've never trusted in Jesus. He is ready and willing to be your refuge and fortress, to be your champion, to stand on your side of the enemy's line. But until you bow your knee to him and give him your life, submit to his lordship and receive the blessing of knowing him, you must face this man, this mighty champion. Call on him today. When he is on your side, there is no reason to fear. The one who could destroy us has become the one who builds us up, who sustains us, and who will deliver us on the final day. So friends, Jesus is our refuge. He's our fortress. He's our warrior. He's our strength. He's surrounding us and He's reigning supreme. He is with us. Just like He calmed the waters and said, Peace, be still. One day He will say, Be still to your enemies. And until that day, He will sustain you through the day of trouble, through this week, whatever it brings. He will be with you. Let's trust in Him. Let's hold on to that base. Even as we continue to walk, we don't become paralyzed. Let's cling to Jesus, our protector. Let's focus more on who he is, his character and his presence than on our trials. Let's look at how he's our fear-crushing champion more than on the fears of our lives. And let's refuse to be paralyzed by fear, knowing that our refuge, fortress, and champion rides with us into the battles that we face this week.